Heavenly Father, we praise you again for another day. Thank you that the sun is shining, reminding us of your constant faithfulness. And even all last week with clouds and rain, we know that the sun still shines behind those clouds, that you are constantly working. And we're reminded that you constantly love us and sustain us. And I thank you this morning for this time that we can um, learn from you in different ways. And I ask that for your help. I ask that your spirit would help us this morning as we look at a catechism that's a little tough. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, the last question we looked at was question number six. How can we glorify God? And uh, we, that question was, and let's read it together. We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, commands, and law. So somebody want to tell me what did it mean to glorify God? Sounds like a fancy church word. Put it in your own words. Make Him look great. I love it. Make God look great. Josh. Whenever you're in doubt. Yep, exactly. You're not trying not to figure life out and fix life on our own, right? Exactly. To lift, to lift him up higher than ourselves, to lift him up higher than anything. Excellent. And the way we do that, through enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and obeying his will, commands, and law. And our next question today gets at that whole commands and law and obeying thing. So... Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you a question, several questions. No. Well, we know that. But I want you to think and not do answer this uh, out loud. I'm going to walk through a few questions. Okay, and this, these series of questions are really helpful if you're talking to a person who doesn't call themselves a Christian, okay? But even for us, it's helpful to remember these things, these questions too. So... Do you think you're a good question, I, a person, and I knew everybody at Edge would go, no, <laughs> which is good, right? But think about this. Well, shoot, I forgot I didn't put a slide for each one. All right, so in your head, don't answer this out loud, although you can. <laughs> Have you ever told a lie? <laughs> Even for a good purpose, right? Accidentally. Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, people who tell lies, what does that make us? Liars, exactly. We might not like that word, but um, we like to say, well, I'm just human, right? <laughs> or I stretch the truth. But the truth is, if we've told a lie, we're liars. Okay, next question. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Yes. Even something small, yes. right? So what does that make us? Thieves. A thief, thieves. All right, so, so far we're lying thieves. Okay, have you ever looked at another person with lust or desire? Right? And Jesus said that if we look, he said in Matthew 7, 5, that if you look at someone with lust in your heart, that you've already committed adultery with them in your heart, and that makes you an adulterer. Fourth question, have you ever been angry with a person for not a justified Reason, in other words, God wouldn't be angry with them, but you were. Yeah, 
children. Come on. Your brothers and sisters, right? We have. And Jesus said in that same chapter, Matthew 5, that anybody who's that angry in their heart is the same as being what? A murderer. So that makes us lying, thieving, adultering murderers. Right? And then have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever even used it maybe as a curse word, right? And the Bible calls that blasphemy. So that makes all of us lying, thieves, blasphemous murderers. Not a picture we want to see of ourselves, is it, right? And those five questions are only getting at five of God's ten commandments. And the next coming catechism questions, actually, we're going to memorize those ten commandments. But by our own admission, we have broken God's law. So I'm just setting that up. Hang that in the back of your head for a little bit. We'll get through this question and talk. come back to this, okay? So here's question number seven, and it's a little bit like question number two, which was really long. <laughs> so um, let's read it together, and then I'll show you the children's version, because you, if you're like, that's too much, I'll show you which part to memorize. So what does the law of God require? Let's read it out loud. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. And what God commands should always be done. Okay. So as usual, I break down this into three questions. What does it mean? Where do we get that from in the Bible? And why does it matter? So first one, let's just break it down. Personal. That means you personally, you yourselves have to obey God. And perfect, that means you don't get to pick and choose which things that he tells us to do. And that you have to do it fully. Like not even, how many know what I mean by halfway obeying? Thank you, Ava. Honesty, I love it. Exactly. Like, we know, and even as adults, we halfway obey. That's not perfect obedience. Uh, And then this next part of that question says perpetual. How many of you kids know what perpetual means? (laughs) Say the what's it mean. All right, there we go. Perpetual means never stops. It perpetually keeps on going. There's our $3 word. Use it in your conversations with your friends. You're like, wow. (laughs) So this sentence in our catechism is saying that what God requires is you personally to perfectly and always obey. That's what God's law requires. And then it says, what does he... We're called to personally, perfectly, and perpetually do to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, just without having even gone to seminary, why do you think God says it that way with four things there? Why does he say heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is it because he wants us to understand, okay, there's part of you that's a soul and part of you is a mind? Is that really what he's getting at? I'm hearing some no. What, Stacy? Whole being. 
your whole being. Like, can you think of anything else other than your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Because the strength's talking about your physical being, body. Well, the, and the strength is talking about the body. Yeah, but it's kind of a, an allusion to that. So he's saying everything about you, even your thoughts, not just what you physically do, has to personally, perfectly, and perpetually obey him. And then the second part says to love our neighbor as ourselves, which means can you love God and not love your neighbor? No. They go hand in hand. In fact, if you want to think about, okay, how well do I love God? Look at your life and see how well do you love others? Because the degree that you love God will be show up in how well you love others. And that also works the other way. If you want to know how much you love others, look at how much you love God. So it, it's an interesting thing. So this is super heavy. Because, I mean, how many of you are feeling pretty good about yourself yet? <laughs> I'm not, right? <laughs> right? Dwayne's wondering why he came to Sunday school. Well, I'll tell you what, because I'm not a TV preacher here to make you feel good. <laughs> um, and a cheesy grin. Um, the last part of our question says, what God forbids should never be done. Now, you're like, why would you have to add that if you have the personal, perfect, and perpetual stuff in there? Well, because the key word there is never it's really kind of a way to help us to remember that um, never means never. <laughs> like if God says don't steal, that doesn't mean that sometimes it's okay to steal. It means you could never. If God says no, we always have to obey that. And the opposite is the second part, the always. What God says to do. What's an example of a, a, of a command you know that God's given us to do? That's positive. It's not a negative, like a don't. What's a do? Love your neighbor. neighbor And love God, right? There's other ones we know, right? In the New Testament, it talks about the way we should treat each other in different ways. Be kind. It means you should always be kind. So, okay, I think we understand the meaning of this sentence, this whole sentence. So let's just look at it again. Actually... How would you, if you could summarize all of that in one word, what would you say that God requires? If you could think of just one word, there could be a couple of right answers to this one. Obey. Obedience and obey. Good. What's another word you can think of that captures all of that and what God requires of people? Trust. Does require trust. <laughs> I'm not sure how I'd see trust in there, but to do that, that's that's good thinking right there. How about like perfection? Does it feel like God's looking, asking for perfection? So, like righteousness. Yeah, exactly. He's asking for righteousness, but a perfect righteousness, right? That's what he's asking for. Yeah. So let's read this again out loud. What does the law of God require? Personal, perfect, perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done. What God commands should always be done. Now, if you're trying to memorize these, 
You can start with the word that and go to the period. So that's what the children's version is. What does the law of God require? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a lot easier to memorize. And frankly, those other parts kind of are (coughs) built into that anyway, right? They're implied. So where do we get this from? Deuteronomy 8.1 says this, and I put it in the NIV NIV because I like the way they translated it here. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Do you see how the perpetual part's here? What, What does it say? How often... Or, or how much of God's law does, God, does this verse here tell us that we have to obey? All of it. Every command. Right? And Deuteronomy 12.32, did I put that one up? I didn't. It says, similarly, everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Now, how many of you, when you read that verse or not that verse, but our catechism where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart souls. How many of it sounds familiar to you? Have you? Do you remember Jesus saying this? Right? Why don't we look at Matthew 22. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 22. There's little Bibles under in front of you. I didn't put this one up here. If you have an app, you can look it up. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So they're trying to test Jesus. They're trying to catch him, right? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And what did Jesus answer? He says, And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus quoted most of that verse that we had been looking at, right? So Jesus is quoting and he says, that's the greatest commandment. But then he doesn't ignore one. He adds another one that's from a different part of the Old Testament. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you can see the, the catechism question this week. Oh boy, here we go. Is essentially quoting from the Bible. The first part's commenting on it, the last part's commenting on it. Right there, it's a Bible verse that really helps us see what exactly requires God requires of us. And as I think Aaron put it best, God requires righteousness of us. So, and I'm actually going pretty quick today, which is okay. So let's go to the why does it matter question. How well do we keep God's law? We don't. don't, Right? That good person question. Did any of you pass it? No. I didn't expect any hands because we're all messed up. We all 
are guilty of at least most of those commandments up there. So why does it matter, though, if we don't keep God's law this way? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? If God requires perfect righteousness... You have to see that you, don't, that you can't follow the law, because if you don't see that you can't follow it, then you have no need for Jesus. Yeah. So why... I need to follow the law, though. You said something there, Stacy. We need to follow the law, and I need to see this because I need, it helps me see I need Jesus. Before we get to that part about need Jesus, what is the consequence, really, if I don't keep God's law in this way perfectly? Hell. It's judgment. That's, it's not a comfortable thing for us to say, right? We, we feel like God should overlook our sin. How many of you have ever like asked a person like if they think they're going to go to heaven? You know, you're like, what do they often say? There's a seat safe for me and Aaron. Would you say? I'm a good person, right? And they, they, what do they do? They kind of add up, right? They add up the stuff that they've done, and like they, they don't think too much about the bad stuff. In fact, they think about the, well, I haven't been arrested, right? And I haven't, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. Compare, we start comparing ourselves. But those questions I asked at the beginning, they're kind of heart probing, aren't they? They're like, it doesn't, you're not, it doesn't matter if you're in jail. In fact, it doesn't even matter if you even acted anything out. If it's up here, we've sinned against God. And we feel like, though, God should overlook our sin. But what kind of God would that make it if God didn't really truly punish sin? An unjust God. Some people have a hard time understanding what that means. Let me think, think with me. What's like the worst thing someone's done to someone else? You don't have to say it out loud. Just think with me in your head like one of the worst things you've heard somebody heard about someone do to someone else. I mean, usually murder like comes to your head. In that situation, would it feel right if, the, if a judge said to that person, oh, don't do that again? We can see it in our own country. Burn down houses and businesses and mm-hmm. kill people and Oh, well. and, and does it, when you see violence happen and not the right judgment given out, how does it make you feel? Unjust. Unjust. You're like, that's wrong, that's wrong, right? Now, if we think about, in our catechism question, what is the kind of God we've seen in question like two and three, what's he like? He's perfect. He's infinite. And if we even lie to an infinite God, there should be an appropriate kind of consequence, right? And that's why, as Stacy said, if you don't think about yourself first and what God requires, and you think about yourself as a good person, you're not going to see the need for Jesus. What does she mean by the need for Jesus? What did Jesus do? Died for our sins. Right? 2 Peter 3.9. Let me flip over there real quick.
says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is waiting, God is waiting, saying, come to me, come to me. He wants people to turn to him and away from thinking that they're good enough. And then what is, does anybody have Romans 5, 8 memorized? Teresa. That's, that's the thing is, while we were still sinners, while we were not meeting the good person test, and we still don't, do we? We still don't meet that good person test. Christ died for us. He took on all of God's wrath. And that like, doesn't give us a pretty picture of God. We think of him as warm and fuzzy, loving. But you've got to remember, he is loving, and he's also a God of wrath and judgment. And that's why Christ had to die to take everything on him for us. So why does this question matter? Why do you think this question matters? The, that God requires, the, the short answer of our, of our catechism is that God requires perfect righteousness. Why does this question matter? Josh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we needed a Savior. It's a, it, Josh and Stacy, you're saying exactly what the thing is. This matters because it helps us see how much we need a Savior, right? It helps us see that we are hopeless without a Savior. Any other ideas as far as things that you, when you hear this question, why do you think this one matters? Just, you know, I think that when I, uh, you know, when I decide to people that, you know, when you start talking about the commandments and what God requires of us, you know, it's, um, it's a little overwhelming, I think, you know, because people are like, Oh, me neither. You right, know? right. Me neither. I can't, you know, like I lie, you know, I yep. cheat, I just, you know, I'm a sinner because I've had, you know, recently someone who said, you know, said that, you know, I'm a sinner. And I'm like, uh, yeah, and, you know, we're all sinners. And, right. Um, there's no level. God doesn't, you know, say, oh, you're a worse sinner than this person. Yes. And uh, so these things help um, to just, you know, to disciple the people to show that, you know, we need God. We need right. Him, you know, because right. we're going to go to hell if we don't you know, repent. Right. I mean, that's not really politically correct to say, Kathy, that we're going to go to hell if we don't repent. I mean, it, it, it's, it is true. I mean, right. it is true. We're going to be left here so, on earth. And... So what does it mean when we say that we have to repent? You have to admit. Admit. Mm-hmm. Admit that we're in that boat. Yeah. And it's... Right, and then it's it's turn away from my sins. See that I don't deserve Him because I've got all this mess, and even my good stuff isn't good enough. So you got both piles behind you, and say Jesus is my only hope. That's turning from it, turning to Him. It's why is it really important though to go here first? What would happen if we didn't go to God requires perfection, but you just went to Jesus? Loves you and has a great plan for your life. What happens? Josh? You wouldn't actually realize you need to repent. <laughs> yeah. 
right? We wouldn't realize what Stacy was saying, that we need a Savior. If you don't help people feel that kind of weight, you've got to let them sit there for a little bit <laughs> because it won't impress upon you how great a Savior we have, right? What else, what else does this, why in your head does this matter, this question, if there's anything else really to add? Well, a lot of times when I'm witnessing to somebody, you've you, you got to convince them they're lost before you can convince them to get saved. Mm-hmm. Because they don't really think there's a need. Exactly. It's another way of saying the same thing, that we've got to convince them when you're lost before they know that they need to be found. Because right. they think they know where they're at and why they're here. Absolutely, we all fall or fall short, and I think that's why I like that good person test because it doesn't ask you, have you ever been arrested for anything, right? It gets right to every single one of us. We all fail that test in some way, if not all of those commandments, because even we, it doesn't cover that last commandment of don't don't um, covet. It's kind of where the, the lust part is, but don't covet. I mean. Even as children, we, we want what our other friends have, and we become unthankful then when we don't have what another person does. And now God says, that's sin. You're not trusting in me as your maker. Well, that was my Sunday school lesson. Really super short today. <laughs> Wait, I see some nods of approval. <laughs> Let, me <close> in. <laughs> Let me close in prayer, and then... Um, one more comment after I pray. Father, I thank you that you shown us our need for you. When we look at uh, these verses and this catechism question, we're reminded that we're not good people, that we are failures. And, and we live in a world that doesn't want to hear that because it's such, it's not good for our self-esteem. Well, God, we know that our self-esteem is found in you, that you have made us and you love us and you want us to turn to you. We thank you that our joy and hope is found in someone who has taken on all of our sin, lived that perfect life for us, obeyed every command perpetually all the way to the cross and then suffered and died for us so that we can have joy so that you can make us into people who want to do what you call us to, who can now begin to obey. And God, we know we don't obey perfectly, but we thank you for your spirit that begins to help us and change us into who you want us to be. Help us this morning as we um, go into this time of worship and singing, giving and hearing your word preached, that you would help us even in that to love you more and give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.